0: welcome to tower talks with inside towers the wireless infrastructure
1: industries podcast and now for your weekly recap a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways here's your host welcome to inside towers week in review for the week of june 28th to july 2nd i'm leslie Stimson, inside towers washington bureau chief with me are jim fryer inside towers managing editor and Sharp Smith, Inside Tower's technology editor. Jim, do you want to start us off? You had a big story this week with a bulletin.
0: Yeah, we started off the week with bang, Leslie. We had uh, a bulletin, which is something we do fairly rarely, but if we think it it warrants it, we bust out the coverage in real time when it's it's happening. We thought this was certainly worthy of it. This one was by communications, bought mobility. And buy of course, is a uh, international infrastructure company, and Mobility being one of the, the largest privately held telecom infrastructure companies in, in the U.S. So what happened was by acquired Mobility, and their portfolio of 220 venues across 39 states, By has uh, now acquired, with, with Mobility, 10,000 small cells across 45 states, 300 tower sites, and... Their idea was to merge it, mesh it, all, all of that great infrastructure from mobility with their current holdings, which uh, are uh, very, a lot of it is transit related. Uh, they provide the infrastructure for subways of New York, Toronto, Hong Kong, and uh, they've also uh, are quite, uh, quite well spread out throughout the UK and Europe as it, and, and increasing their, their network there. So what the deal did was was marry mobile mobility's assets and operations across 5G, outdoor, indoor, and small cell deployment uh, with uh, transit operators across the U.S. with buys long-standing experience in delivering communication infrastructure in dense urban and transit environments.
1: Thanks, Jim. And Sharp, you're going to talk to us about Nokia and DISH. Yes, Nokia
2: and DISH uh, announced... That they're going to deploy the Dishes 5G standalone core. This is using the Amazon Wireless, uh, Amazon Web Services. It's going to be supporting Dish's cloud native, open RAN based 5G network. And uh, uh, Nokia is going to be providing just really a laundry list of, of services, including the voice core, cloud packet core, subscriber data management, device management. As well as professional end-to-end security services, it's all part of Dish's desire to uh, to to get their 5G network launched as quickly as possible. You're going to see them be uh, virtual from the get-go. What I thought was interesting about the story was that I looked around the world and to see you know what else is going on in this area, and I I found uh, Indian wireless company was using Google Cloud for their edge cloud infrastructure and creating another open, highly scaled platform for their subscribers for their 5G service. In in this case, India being a totally different market, however, with an Indian carrier, they're doing something similar to, to Dish in that they're you know they're really building from the ground up, so as much as they can use the cloud, they're really the better for them, and uh, so it seems like we're we're just seeing an awful lot of public network-oriented uh, news stories uh, relative to wireless right now, and I, I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to do a deeper dive in and see how what type of impact it has for all the. Uh, towers and things like that.
1: So that brings us to another story from Monday. The FCC, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the National Telecommunications and Information Administration said they will share information about and coordinate the distribution of federal broadband deployment funds. They've been doing this informally. This codifies that agreement. The agreement covers funds from the FCC's high cost programs that support broadband build out in rural areas, the USDA's rural utility services grant and loan programs and programs administered or coordinated by NTIA. Each federal agency partner will share information about existing or planned projects that receive funding. Each partner will also, when asked, Identify entities providing broadband service in a specified geographic area, and that brings us to Tuesday, Shar.
2: Ah, uh, yes, Tuesday. Uh, that kicked off our coverage of the uh, South Wireless Summit. It had the benefit of being the, the first wireless conference really to convene in the uh, in the post quarantine era, if we don't uh, how to refer to it as that. It was a great event. And it was uh, interesting, one of the first keynotes out of the block was uh, Todd Schleckaway with president and CEO of NATE, And uh, he had a very strong message. He's speaking about the, uh, basically the treatment of wireless contractors by uh, uh, their, their customers, many of them big carriers. His main message was that uh, wireless contracting has really become untenable and unprofitable because of uh, downward pressure on prices from the carriers and others at the top of the supply chain. He said, quote, this even uh, goes as far as a take it or leave it predetermined matrix of pricing, uh, squeezing margins to the breaking point. And uh, another burden that uh, has been laid upon the, the wireless contractors is the shifting of liability from their customers onto them, so they're paying for a lot of the vetting and things like that of their workers. It was, it was a pretty tough message, but uh, I think the even tougher message was there's really not a policy fix for uh, something like this. And you know, Todd went to uh, to great lengths to note that they're not. Uh, proposing that Nate get into the the game of setting prices in the industry, and and that's really not something that any federal agency uh, is going to do. So so far, it's what I would call a, a problem without a solution, which is sort of a, a tough pill to swallow.
1: You know, it's interesting. We have run stories on this topic, but this is the first time that I can recall Nate being so public about it in saying something like this at a conference. So that's telling. Another story we had on Tuesday involved the Supreme Court. In 2018, the FCC passed the small cells order. There, It was a lot of different things to move along small cell deployment. And some cities and municipalities had gone to court to uh, to try and get that overturned. ended up at the ninth circuit the ninth circuit said no the FCC was right this was 2019 this week the Supreme Court refused to hear the case they they just you know and when they do that they don't give a reason it's just a big long list and you read the name of the case you know by the day um and this was called City of Portland et al versus FCC so that means that they have nowhere to go. The Supreme Court is not going to hear the case. And mayors of at least 30 cities, five counties, and the National League of Cities had fought the FCC in court. When all was said and done after the Supreme Court wouldn't hear the case, the Competitive Carriers Association President and CEO Steve Barry said he was very pleased These orders will clarify the legal situation and help promote 5G deployment around the country, which will certainly benefit consumers and the economy. CCA, CTIA, WIA, and Verizon all were in agreement and they all had a joint um, opposition. They had opposed the court hearing this case. WIA President and CEO Jonathan Adelstein told me that the Supreme Court was right to reject the effort to overturn the FCC's reforms. The FCC's updated rules are successfully promoting 5G deployment and are vital to the success of the Biden administration's plans for historic investments in broadband infrastructure. And now that brings us to Wednesday. And Sharp, you're going to talk about WIA.
2: Yes, another another keynote uh, that was part of the uh, program at the South Wireless Summit was Jonathan Adelstein, uh, and he also had a uh, had had a tough message to uh, to give to to the uh, the attendees that uh, the the wireless industry is is currently in danger of missing out on its share of the trillion dollar infrastructure legislation that's currently currently being considered by Congress. And uh, Edelstein's uh, message was that uh, the data speeds that are defined in the broadband infrastructure package, which is inside the huge uh, infrastructure package as a whole, it creates uh, a situation where fiber optics would be the, the de facto government-funded standard, which is really odd, because the uh, the federal government seldom, if ever, go, goes into uh, the the weeds and tries to uh, to set a standard. Uh, I think they understand that, that the industry is is uh, best at doing that, and uh, and if not the industry, at least the FCC, which uh, regulates the industry. The measure is called the uh, Accessible, Affordable Internet for All Act, uh, which is a, part of the broadband infrastructure uh, legislation. It's set as the qualifications to get uh, Spectrum or uh, to get the, uh, the money uh, is that uh, you would have 100 mega, uh, megabits upload and 100 megabits download. And uh, the quote from Adelsina says, the problem for that with the wireless industry is that we can often do 100 megabits uh, upload, download rather, But we can rarely, if ever, do 100 megabits uh, upload. So it's a a difficult situation because I think a lot of people, when when they hear the word broadband, uh, everyone has a different idea of what you're talking about. And uh, for wireless people, broadband means broadband speeds over wireless. And if you're in the fiber business, broadband means fiber to the home. So it was, uh, it was a hard hitting presentation, uh, definitely a fight that uh, Wireless ends in end at the moment. And we usually win our, our fights in Washington. And it, uh, this one's um, in, definitely in danger.
1: It's interesting because he had a similar message the week before to Congress, but he wasn't as sharp edged because the head of the Viber Association was sitting at the table next to him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he had to be a little bit more politic. But yes, he, his message is, to Congress anyway was, you know, symmetrical upload and download is kind of a waste because consumers really care about download more than upload. Not very many people are going to need fast upload. Um, so it's definitely a fight. And what his message to lawmakers is don't discount wireless Don't adopt a technology that cuts out specifically anything. Just keep a wide tent. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. That brings us to another story on Wednesday. Uh, The Jim. Jim's going to talk about a silo.
0: Yes. Well, as those of you who read Inside Towers, and thank you for doing that, uh, know that we we cast a wide tent as well as far as our, our stories go. And uh, we, we like covering the sort of the granular level, uh, what's going on, in a little slice of life or a case study, uh, however you might want to call it. And um, I, I love these little stories. Usually they fall under our category of zoning and moaning, uh, which uh, we have sort of a tongue in cheek title to our, to our category because of all the all the fighting that goes on there. But uh, we know you like to stay on top of that because you've been there. We've all been there. Uh, this one was in Massachusetts, in Martha's Vineyard. There's a little town called Edgartown on an island off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, and for a long time, most carriers have had, had trouble getting getting sites up there as, as justifiably as people there are very uh, conservative about what's put up as far as spoiling the landscape and the historical value of everything. But there seemed to be one solution on a on a farm uh, in Edgartown where they have two grain silos, but they're opting to have those taken down and AT&T is offering to put up uh, a 60 foot grain silo that will of course be used for connectivity that will become a sell site for AT&T. And they will be putting it on this. The deal was that it's a 10 year lease, it's an initial 28 grand down for, for the property and then incremental increases of course, over the years, uh, escalators, as, as the contract uh, continues through that time. When asked why the farm would not keep one of the original silos, the project manager on it, from at t responded, it would add a lot of complexity, time, and expense. So they're going to keep it simple, uh, but keep it, keep it beautiful in Martha's Vineyard.
1: And you have a story from Thursday, too, Jim.
0: Yes, yeah, so well, getting back to the the big picture stuff, uh, there was kind of a marriage of big tech and big telecom, where AT&T announced that it was going to run its mobility network on Microsoft's uh, cloud platform called Azure. Uh, they announced it's going to move its, AT&T's mobile network to the Microsoft cloud. And what this alliance does is provides a path for all of AT&T's mobile network traffic to be managed using the Microsoft technologies. The companies will start with AT&T's 5G core, the soft, which is the software at the heart of the 5G network, and that connects mobile users and IoT devices with internet and other services. AT&T said the move is designed to increase productivity and cost efficiency while focusing on the delivery of large-scale network services that meet its customers' evolving needs. So Microsoft, in turn, will have access into AT&T's intellectual property and technical expertise to grow its telecom flagship offering. So uh, there's starting to be more, of we're seeing more intertwining of, of big tech and, and, and big telecom. So we'll, uh, we'll be staying on top of that as it develops. Also Microsoft is acquiring ATT's ts carrier-grade network cloud platform technology, which is AT&T's 5G core network. And that runs on AT&T's network cloud platform that it's been uh, been running the at and 5G core at scale since the company launched 5G in 2018. Overall, the move brings real world production 5G workloads to Azure for operators.
1: And that brings us to Thursday. Uh, Sharp, you have another story from the South Wireless Summit.
2: Yes, so uh, the, um, the CEO of uh, FirstNet, Ed Parkinson, uh, gave an update on the, the growth of FirstNet. He mentioned that as far as coverage is concerned, the network is about 94% uh, uh, built out, has 2.2 million connections and 16,000 agencies signed on. So you would think, well, maybe things are pretty much you know, leveling out there. But uh, his uh, he spoke over a Zoom hookup and uh, he spoke about a lot of what they've been up to in the last year, year and a half, and a lot of the things that they've been doing that maybe, uh, maybe we haven't known about. He spoke about the, the collaboration with the public safety community and their deployments during hurricanes, tornadoes, wild, wildfires, civil unrest, and uh, during COVID, they provided uh, deployable assets to the USS Mercy when it was converted into a floating hospital. And all in all, in the first uh, six months, 2021, they filled a request for uh, communic- communications assets from the uh, FirstNet community about 200 times. And uh, I think what makes that uh, really important for them is that it, uh, just how responsive they are being to the, uh, the, the public safety community. And uh, they're providing things like satellite uh, dishes on light trucks known as a sat colt And um, uh, they've added communications vehicles and uh, compact rapid deployable assets. They now have about 210 FirstNet ready devices that they can, uh, they can loan out. And, uh, and there's also a whole bunch of uh, apps that the public safety community can uh, deploy uh, uh, from Google Play, Apple's App Store, and the FirstNet App Catalog. And uh, one of those, uh, which is uh, uh, really cool, I think, is uh, you can download the uh, ability on your uh, device to, uh, to be found. It's, it's sort of like GPS, you know, but the problem with GPS is that you can find out somebody's X and Y co- coordinates but uh, you don't know how high they are off the ground. And uh, so so this app uh, provides what they call the Z-axis uh, location. So that if a firefighter is in trouble in a building, you don't just get the fact that they're in the building. You know whether they're on the first floor or the 10th floor. And uh, so I think as far as uh, safety is concerned, that's something that's really going to be... Uh, welcomed by the, the the first the first responder community and they've also added aerostats and uh, that floatable blimps that have the uh, transmitter on board and so yeah he was uh, he was very ev- effusive in his uh, compliments to about AT&T that uh, they've gone the full measure in terms of providing the technology that uh, the public safety Community needs to uh, to do their job and to do it safely, and we sort of ended it all with the fact that AT and T is also paying uh, uh, FirstNet eighteen billion dollars to lease its spectrum, and uh, and that money by law has to be reinvested back into the network, which is good news for the wireless people. Uh, so uh, that will be the uh, the gift that keeps on giving for the wireless industry. I'm quite sure. So, so yeah, his was, uh, was more of an upbeat uh, presentation than the other two, but uh, uh, definitely uh, definitely uh, some, some good
1: information. And Jim will round out our coverage this week with a story suitable for July 4th.
0: Yeah, as our readers uh, know, who've been with us for a while, uh, I like to, on holidays, especially, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, I like to reflect on some of the historical surroundings that are around me here in Philadelphia. I'm a history nerd. And uh, so this is this is heaven for me to, to always find great places to, to reflect on and to inspire uh, as far as uh, how, the, how this country came about. And, and obviously with July 4th here right ahead of us, I thought it was a good time to take a look at, at Valley Forge, which is one of my favorite places here in Philly. Even though nothing really happened there from a battle standpoint, it, it really was a good metaphor to companies who have just gone through this quote-unquote long, long, hard winter of uh, the, the pandemic. And, and what Washington and the troops did at Valley Forge was a was a terrific lesson in in basically survival, uh, but how to adapt, how to make the most of a really really bad situation, uh, and I, I touched on a lot of the things that that Washington was going through internally, uh, what was what he was facing as far as the uh, the local populace and and starving troops and, and uh, all of the all these factors weighing against them, yet at the same time. He was able to pull everything together, build the discipline uh, and, and and train the troops to be a hardcore fighting unit when when that winter ended. So uh, I, I felt it was a good time for uh, companies who have been through this pandemic. And I've, I've seen it firsthand that companies that have uh, fought hard and, and stayed with it and, and improved themselves over a over a long slog, <laughs> a long, hard slog in uh of the pandemic so I thought that was a good a good touchstone to 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 round it off for the week
1: thank you Jim on that note have a great fourth of July weekend and stay safe